Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favorite football podcast back for another week and looking ahead to the return of the Champions League. Isn't that exciting? My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me is my co host, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yeah, I'm not too bad at all. We're back at that time, aren't we? The transfer window closed. Just getting used to the domestic football. Now we've got European football coming back too. So, the calendar from here out is chock-a-block. Um, there's been a lot of interruptions to the season so far with international games and transfer windows and all sorts. But um, this is it now. We are properly having a go at getting to the end of this season. The final bell has rung, as Peter Drury said, Let's and we're go. into the last lap. Off Let's we go. go. Very, very exciting. But there's been more exciting news this week, and that's that the World Cup venues were announced for 2026. And I thought it would be disingenuous of us not to discuss those at the start of this podcast. It's a World Cup that both of us are looking forward to. We know that there's a heavy American skew on the listenership of this podcast. So we wanted to discuss a couple of our thoughts on what was going down. Mostly, though, Dean, I think we're looking at a World Cup that's going to be absolutely mad. Oh, mate, I mean... I. I don't think we've yet had time to contemplate the size of this World Cup. And actually, the best way I've seen it summed up was in a, a tweet that a few people have used for their own uses in the past 48 hours. And it was from Daniel Story. He said, I'm not sure people realise how mad a 48-team, 104-match World Cup is going to be. Between June the 13th and June the 27th, 2026, 
there will be 68 group games. That is almost a fifth of an entire Premier League season in 15 days. It is going to be mad. And obviously the tournament itself is a bit longer than normal. But it's got to be to cram all of this in, to give everybody the time to get across the country. Obviously, it's going to be kicking off in Mexico and it's going to be ending up in New York. So it's going to be a hell of a journey over June and July of 2026. I intend to definitely be at a few of those games along the way. Dylan's already asking about that World Cup, actually, and he couldn't believe it when it was going to be in America. Um, so he's, he's excited. Um, and ultimately, it's also nice to have a World Cup where they're prepared. It's going to be well-organized, hopefully. You know, what we well, everything we that's, had that's, with Qatar. That's quite a gamble at this point to suggest that. I don't think so. Not in terms of the problems we had with Qatar. Like, they literally didn't have any stadiums. At least in America, like, they've got the best stadia in the world already. Um, and it's all ready to go. And when you, anyone that's been to events in America, like, America has just run things better. You go to a restaurant in America, probably better than anywhere else in the world. Go to a, a gig in America, usually pretty well run. Obviously, there's going to be moments in any uh, major tournament that's, that's going to cause issues, but I have a lot, lot more hope and faith in this tournament being well run um, than I did the last one. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's fair to suggest that the stadia already being built is probably a good sign <laughs> at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it's been an interesting battle and reading about it and learning about the procedures. This is going to be the first World Cup ever without an organizing committee. So it's going to be on FIFA to make sure that everything runs smoothly. It doesn't feel me the world's most confident, so I'll be perfectly honest with you. But it means that they've had to go out to external investors and basically look at people who want to host these games who are looking to you know cram them in i don't know what that means in terms of ticket prices how they're going to be sorted out i, I think all of that is still up in the air mm. and but what we do have is a schedule and to be honest this west central east region kind of element that allows teams to stick within you know i wouldn't say a small area but a reasonably sized area to play their games in the group stages at the very least seems like it's relatively well put together in terms of actually the logistics of how it's going to run. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's obviously still sp spread out and they've, they've had to make considerations for how you, your route to the final. So that, that's going to also have had consequences as to who was to host semifinals and things like that as to where, how far you're going to have to travel then to get to the final. Look, it was always... It was always logical that New York would be a place where the final would end up. I do think that that makes loads of sense, definitely. There are people from Jersey screaming down the phone right you now, saying this, this, tournament, this tournament's ending in Jersey, not in New York. But still, like I thought, like New York is where you would expect a final to be. So New Jersey, fine, it's, it's, it's next door. Um, but there are definite reasons to feel like I don't personally, oh, I've only got one experience of MetLife and I didn't like it. Um, but maybe it's better than I've seen. I've seen other people complain about the same thing. I mean, the main thing was the transportation. When I went, I, there was no easy way to get there. I mean, we ended up driving on a minibus um, from Bleacher Report's offices to uh, an ICC friendly game between Liverpool and Man City. It took forever. I remember going through some tunnel. Forever. It took hours to get there. 
Um, and I don't think like uh, public transport links are great, are they? Now, I assume there must be some sort of plan to improve it. Yeah, Generally, New York's great for public transport, of course. But like, I think one of the big issues here is around getting to the state. I know they have to get to, um, you know, football games anyway throughout the NFL season and stuff. But for a load of people who aren't used to traveling to the stadium, this is a different group of people going to the match. And a, and a lot of people, bear in mind, who won't be driving. I think that's an important like point because a lot of the people who go to these NFL games for the Jets and the Giants will be driving there, right? They're not necessarily all coming through on public transport. Whereas when you have people who are coming in or flying in or coming from around the world to come to a showpiece event, that's a very different scenario. So I think that it's worth bearing in mind. They are, well, they have suggested already that public transport links will be improved. I remember going out there, Sam and I went for, I think it was also an ICC game, but it was Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid. And we had an incredibly fun time. So just to counter your uh, experience, I don't remember the journey there or back being particularly difficult. Uh, I do remember Atleti won 7-3. When was well, the last time Real Madrid conceded seven goals? I think Diego Costa scored four. Joao Felix and Costa played up together and they were unbelievable. And I was like, it was just after Joao Felix had signed. And I was like, wow, this kid's going to be absolutely unbelievable. He's going to be the business. Atleti are winning it all. <laughs> uh, so it didn't quite work out that way but no yeah I, I do remember this stadium being a good experience we were able to you know watch it without too much hassle get in and out it was it was pretty fine I know there are problems with walking and problems you know not being able to walk from and to and from the stadium those things are going to have to be addressed uh, and the public transport situation as you say is going to need to be addressed but I think that as you say getting a tournament to finish in a place where there is one, a favorable time zone for most of the world, as well as it being one of the central hubs of world transport, is probably a sensible maneuver as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's also the first place I remember being, I went to a game with a bag and they were like, you can't bring the bag into the stadium. And it wasn't just like, tag it up, okay, you can go in. It was like, I had to walk across to some area, put my pay for my bag to go into a locker go back and get it later on i know that's now become pretty commonplace like in in some parts of the world but that was my first experience of that too so that probably didn't help either i was actually vip on that day like it's not like i had a bad day i remember like being in this like really cool suite i like at one point i was pitch side my our seats were amazing i was in this really cool like bar restaurant area so i'm I'm not feeling uh, too down on myself here from my experience because like the actual in-house experience of, of MetLife was pretty good apart from I do remember a shocking pitch. Um, but the getting there, the actually getting in the stadium wasn't great. I, I assume that this is all being ironed out. I mean, this is a while ago now. I think it was, I don't know, 2018 or something, I'm guessing it must have been. So it's a, it is a while back now. Um, but even if I think like going to the Russia World Cup, I remember the problem you get with the World Cups is the security measures to get into the stadium are tighter than anywhere else. I mean, in Russia, they'd start the queues miles back from the stadium. Like you would be in a queue, like a line a mile back from the stadium to even get through your first security check where they actually look at your tickets. And then you start walking towards the stadium and that's when you then start to get into the ground. That used to take ages for the, the games that I went to, to back then. Um, 
so there is all that to consider. So it will be it'll be weird. And going to World Cup matches is way different to going to any other football match you ever go to. Um, and I guess it has to be like the profile of the matches and um, the security fears that would surround such an event are always such that you have to be super super stringent. But yeah, it's it's complex. But mate, let's get back to the positives because this is going to be a hell of a World Cup. And yes, Dallas have a amazing stadium that I want to go to. Um, it looks great. SoFi um, in California looks amazing. Want to go there too. And they'd have both been great settings for a final. But MetLife's MetLife. And it's got history. It's got that special feeling to it. And we're going to see a world champion there. It's hosted some pretty big games as well. Obviously, the Copa America in 2016, the Centenario final, where Chile won on penalties against Argentina. I am a bit concerned about the pitch. You mentioned it there. Just, you know, it's been a turf pitch for some time, and we've seen some pretty big, pretty serious ACL injuries take place on that pitch. So I don't know if it's going to be relayed with grass for this tournament or before that even, because it's been something that people have talked about on, on various occasions. but. Well, worth bearing in mind, I think. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this. And as we start to edge towards this, I mean, the Euros, obviously, this summer, the Copa America this summer, once those two tournaments are done, then I think the hype ramps up even more. But the biggest knockout tournament in history taking place across these three countries, I think it's going to be very, very special. Yeah, uh, just the last thing will be ticketing. Like, I see the pricing of Super Bowl tickets for this upcoming weekend and you're looking at like $9,000 plus. That scares me a bit about what sort of crowd you're going to have at a World Cup final because, you know, Americans, while it might not be like the number one sport or anything, it's a huge sport now across the country and there's a lot of rich people in America and it, I hate it when you get sports affairs that are so important and it's just full of people that had the most money to be there. Uh, at least, you know, obviously in England, we do have like touts and like you do end up paying above and beyond the price of a ticket. But like the most I've ever paid, I think was £800 when England played Italy in the final of the Euros. And I, I don't think I've ever paid more than £100 for a game of football. Yeah, but Ireland have never got to the final of the Euros, so you've not got to worry about that. Um, That's a fair point. <laughs> That's the, and, that is, to be honest, be either, yeah. I would never have planned to pay that much because it was like on the back of lockdown, had nothing else to spend money on for the previous year. England were absolutely not expected to get there. On top of that, because of the way the ticket worked at that last tournament, um, and it ended up, you know, being kind of an open ticketing situation, whereas usually it had all been done by ballot and stuff, it became a bit of a situation. So I was like, there's no way I'm missing this opportunity. So I went for it. But I wouldn't be paying $9,000, that's for sure. And that does scare me a little bit, but we'll get to that when we yeah. get to that. Well, I assume the ballots will begin and, you know, it has worked. Yeah, it hasn't begun yet, has it? will be interesting, so yeah. We'll, we'll keep an eye on how Let's that's working. And look, touts are always going to have a, touts are always going to have a say, right? But there will... There will be, I think, some, at the very least, reasonable England things to get to. in a US World Cup is going to be so cool. I can't wait. Oh, yeah, because you didn't rate the last one that was in the US, did you? I didn't No, you did. 
Well, England didn't make the last. Oh, World sorry, Cup no, yeah, no. US. I thought you said I didn't make it. I was like, no, I was like ten. Um, well, no, I was no. barely born. But no, um, but it was the one time, one time that Ireland did something that England couldn't do, and you actually made it. And I actually supported Ireland in that uh, World Cup, mate. I can remember very clearly being on a family holiday in Spain, watching Ray Houghton play in that World Cup. Um, mm. So I was Ray a boy in green. Yeah, fantastic. Now, everyone has a little bit of light in their history, even when they're from the darkest of uh, darkest of spaces. Right. After the break, we're going to be switching our focus to the Champions League. Don't go anywhere. New year, new rank squad. Kick off 2024 with Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery service. It takes the stress out of your meal planning and assists your goals for the new year. The chef-crafted meals are so good, even pro footballers would benefit from them. But here's what I like. Factor also now offers loads of snack options, like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, exactly the sort of stuff I'm trying to improve in my own hectic life. So, if you want some guru wisdom, then here's my advice. Head to factormeals.com slash ranks50 and use code RANKS50 to get 50% off. That's code RANKS50 at factormills.com slash RANKS50 to get 50% off. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for us to take a look at the last 16 of the Champions League and to rank the teams left in the competition. It always feels like a fun one at this point, and something we'll come back to, obviously, across the course of the rest of this season. We're going to start by looking at the teams at the bottom of our rankings, working our way up, and then at the end, talking about a few of the games that you probably shouldn't be missing over the next couple of weeks. So, Dean, I'm going to throw it over to you to let me know who you think are the least likely clubs left to win the Champions League. Yeah, look, first and foremost, I don't think this is a year when there is an obvious winner, and I don't think that there's an obvious dominance, actually, in the Champions League this season. Uh, Manchester City, obviously... Um, looking to go again in this competition and then they're in, will be well-placed to do that. Um, but ultimately, there is potential that we'll get a surprise winner this season. So I like that aspect of it. The problem is there are six teams that I give absolutely no hope of being in that conversation. And so at the bottom of my ranking, as we get to the last 16 of the Champions League, I have the following. Copenhagen are at the bottom of my list. Then we've got Lazio, FC Porto, PSV, Real Sociedad, and RB Leipzig. They are the teams I'm giving not a hope in hell of winning the Champions League. So I have a couple of things here. In that I had my bottom three exactly the same as yours. Porto are incredibly unconvincing in the Primera at the moment. They drop points again at the weekend. I watched them against Boavista live a few weeks back and they have no cutting edge whatsoever. Now, Mediterranean will be back. So there is that to consider. But equally, it just doesn't feel like this is a vintage Porto side. And no pun intended in that kind of regard. Um, the only team that I have not in there that you had was... PSV, who I have up uh, in the next category. I dropped Leipzig to 13. I had Real Sociedad at 12, although I think they are actually a better side than maybe the three above them, just that they have a more a trickier draw. Um, 
And I had Napoli at 11th because I am completely and utterly unconvinced by this Napoli team. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. Um, Napoli, I guess, I just feel probably deserve to be in that next bracket based on why they're in the Champions League, the players they do actually have in their team. And that for them to beat Barcelona in the last 16 definitely isn't like that much of a strange thing. And suddenly, no, but I also don't think it'd be weird if PSV beat Dortmund, considering the form that Dortmund are in and the form that PSV are in where they're unbeaten domestically. That's why I have them. I, that's why I dropped Leipzig below all of them because they obviously have to play Real Madrid, not in cracking form themselves by any stretch of the imagination. There is something to be said about Leipzig having the capacity on their day to beat most sides. I think I put PSV, Barcelona, Dortmund and Napoli next to each other in my ranking because I think that there's not much between the teams and I think that they're relatively winnable games, whereas I don't think that Leipzig are going to beat Real Madrid. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I think my, my reasoning for Napoli over PSV would be that if Napoli did get to a semi-final, then, sorry, a quarter-final, then they've got that star factor that makes anything possible. Yeah, Osterman returning, yeah. Yeah, with Osterman returning, there's that, there's that fresh freshness to it. And the, look, this is going to be the last season for Osimhen. So, no, he, he will remember fondly that Napoli were the team that got him his first professional trophy. He's got that, he's got that in the bag now. That's there forever. He's made it clear he's going to be leaving the club in the summer. There's going to be a bit more incentive there to, to give one last push. Napoli won't win the Champions League, but you get a goal that, propelled there's there's a small possibility at least that Napoli still have that inside them somewhere whereas PSV even if they were to get through to the quarterfinal I would then be saying right this is their ceiling this is their ceiling like every time I'd be like well they're the least favorite to get through whereas Napoli I can see me coming back around to being like oh yeah they were a good team weren't they and they're back Mm, maybe I just think having watched PSV a fair bit this season they're incredibly well put together their balance is lovely they just feel like a side that actually have the potential to cause teams or better teams than them problems, mm. as opposed to Napoli, who I think might crumble, especially under Mezzari, where it hasn't been good. That's why I have PSV ahead. I have PSV ahead of Barcelona, Dortmund, and Napoli. Yeah, well, look, PSV actually, just to take your point into consideration, like maybe they will be the most underestimated team in this competition. They feel like Benfica of a few years back where everyone was like, they can't keep going. And then they suddenly found themselves in a, in a semi-final. Yeah. That's something I'm willing to consider. Yeah. I think, I think that that's fair. Um, I, I probably have underestimated them to be honest when, um, when you consider what they have actually achieved over the course of this season, what that team unity might give them compared to what other teams might be lacking always could give you an edge. People will point out that they got absolutely spanked by Arsenal in the first, obviously, game that they played at the Emirates. But actually, if you flip that around to the return leg, where things were obviously much much closer, they felt like they'd learned from that experience. I I think they're growing, this team. And and once everyone's back in in the middle, obviously, Saibari was out at the uh, AFCON, and we saw a a couple of others out. Joey Veerman was out for a couple of games, and that's where they had their little wobble. But... I do think that there's something to be considered in the fact that they they feel like a team growing into things. They're out of the cup, but uh, but still looking for an invincible season in the league. I don't know. I think they could cause a few some some problems, especially to this Dortmund side who are all over the place. Yeah, no, fair enough, Mark. 
All right, let's go onwards then from your 10 to 6. Okay, so at 10, we've, uh, we now know that I've got um, Napoli. Um, just ahead of them, I've got Borussia Dortmund. Just ahead of them, I've got Barcelona in 8th. Atleti come in at 7. And I've got PSG at 6. Mm. Uh, I mean, mine are 10 Dortmund, 9 Barcelona, 8 PSV, 7 PSG, 6 Bayern. Oh, okay. So you've dropped Bayern down to this second tier. That's quite a big call. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a big call, especially because Bayern have, you know, as we've seen, that kind of ability to turn it on and in knockout football with Harry Kane up there scoring goals for fun, seemingly in Germany. I think it's unwise to write them off. I just think as a cohesive unit, they've probably fallen a bit behind the teams that I've got further up this list. And that's why, so Atleti are in my top five as opposed to Bayern, whereas I assume you've got them higher up. Yeah, um, I have got Bayern higher up. And I guess the reason I wouldn't have Bayern in that second bracket, they've got Lazio in the round of 16. Yeah, it's so fair. uh, And and that's because I see them as basically a shoe-in to the quarterfinals. Combining that with the fact that it's Bayern Munich pushes them for me into the semi-finals, which means they're in the top four. Um, so that's just my logic of work of trying to work it out. Yeah, I mean, I have two teams in my top five who play each other in the round of 16. So one of them is definitely not going to win the Champions League. <laughs> but um, whoever does, whoever does win that win game ends up in that, that bracket, I guess. Well, I think this is it. I was like, actually, whoever wins this game, I think, has a better chance than maybe someone like a... Or even if we pick, you know, the winner of Barcelona-Napoli. Yeah. I mean, I don't like where whoever wins that game, they're both below whoever wins the Inter at 30 game for me. So I, I've got them both higher up. So I, I can understand why people are going, well, that doesn't make any sense. But I agree with what you're saying on Bayern because Lazio are a bit of a mess at the moment and Sarri under real pressure. They're ninth in Serie A. So Bayern should be looking at that and going, yep, yeah, thank you very much. It's exactly what we wanted for a round mm. of 16 game just to ease us through. I, I can understand why. I just, I just feel that maybe they're a touch off some of the top teams in Europe this year. And I think that there are, you know, we've seen them being caused problems by a variety of different teams and not even in just games that they've dropped points in, even in games they've won. I'm watching them going, you are very, very unconvincing as a Bayern, as a Bayern Munich side. And it's not a label you apply to Bayern particularly freely, I think. Mm. You know, you look at how it shakes out. Normally you're thinking, okay, even if Bayern aren't great, they're usually like, okay, I'm, they're pretty rock solid. They're pretty, pretty steady. And now it feels like Bayern are a little bit all over the place, which doesn't really add up to my kind of perception of where they should be. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that's, that's um, very fair. The one thing like, that I guess held back Bayern was obviously like once Lewandowski left and you're trying to con- cope with that. And they've now got Harry Kane who... Like this competition is going to mean a lot to him because it's it's a stage that he needs to really I don't want to say prove himself on because he's got nothing to prove Harry Kane at all but if there was a reason to be joined by Munich beyond just actually finally getting a piece of silverware it's to go and play for a commanding team in Europe who actually have a chance of winning the trophy and to doubt Bayern Munich 
I think Kane would take that personally if this really goes against them. I can see him taking matters into his own hands. Uh, he's done obviously really well since making the transfer. And I think that Bayern finally having a, a Lewandowski replacement is going to fix the some of the inefficiency that they've shown uh, before uh, in the Champions League. Um, I don't think I personally would back Bayern to go on and, and win the tournament, though. I don't think I would be willing to go that far. Um, I guess my surprise of, of the teams that I've got in this bracket might, people might consider that PSG um, would yeah, be... Yeah, well, both the, of us have them, so it's worth discussing. Yeah, I mean, most a lot of people would probably automatically put PSG into their, their top five candidates to go and win the Champions League. I just think when you contemplate what's gone on in the last two seasons... Um, that I just have no faith in that team being capable of finally taking that step and, and going all the way to win the Champions League this season. I think it's it feels less likely than ever, to be honest with you. Like, I mean, in terms of their actual form right now, they're in good form. I mean, I think their last actual defeat came in the Champions League uh, at the hands of AC Milan. So, like, their actual run of games that they've been in recently sets them up fine. But when you run it back a bit deeper and look at PSG's season so far in the Champions League, they beat them 4-1 at Newcastle. 4-1. And look, Newcastle, it was a hell of a night for them. But that's a big outcome. And I don't believe that PSG have displayed enough consistency on the European stage this season to show that they can go on and win the trophy. And because even domestically they haven't been, they haven't showed the authority they have in previous years to completely take command of the league. Again, it's another thing that I weigh against them. And Mbappe's leaving. I don't think that that's a good, you know, I don't think it's like, oh, Mbappe's going out with a bang here. He's going to go out with a Champions League. I don't believe that to be true either. I like what's going on at PSG generally in terms of changing what they stand for. But I would be hugely surprised if this is a PSG team that actually lifts the Champions League trophy. I mean, weirder things have happened. I think it's a little bit unfair to say that they haven't taken control of the league. They're eight points clear now of Nice in, in well, I second. mean, they've been made to work for it. They've shown flaws at points of the season. Well, I think what's been interesting is actually watching them in the last two games was they drew two all with Brest, having been 2-0 up. Um, and then on Friday, they played Strasbourg and they won 2 1. They went 2 0 up and conceded sort of 70 minutes odd. And Strasbourg had 20 shots against them. Now, eight were on target. PSG dominated the ball, but refused to kind of kill the game off in many ways. And actually, I thought it was interesting watching Strasbourg have a go at them and thinking, this not a fallible. And that's maybe my takeaway from this. I also would add, and I know that it sounds nuts considering I've just talked about having two teams playing each other in my, in my top five, but I do think that Real Sociedad are a, a kind of horrible side for PSG to play here. Real Sociedad have been incredibly stubborn. They've, they've come out of a Champions League group with Inter, who I think might well be the second best side in Europe right now, top of the group, having taken two credible draws against Inter home and away home game that they should have won. 
they've not been perfect, obviously, in terms of, of their league form and, and what you maybe expect from them. You're maybe expecting Real Sociedad to push on again and they've actually fallen behind their, their great Basque rivals athletic club in that race for fourth spot. But I think that what we've seen from them in the Champions League so far has been really, really impressive. And it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if Real Sociedad were the kind of team who could deal a hammer blow to PSG. Oh, that would be that'd be huge. I think it's the most. I think it's the most likely upset if yeah. we're considering if we're considering that the Barcelona, if we could take out the kind of Barcelona, Dortmund, PSV, Napoli quartet, right? Where I actually don't think an upset. I don't think PSV beating Dortmund would be a massive upset, considering where the two sides are right now. This would be a big upset, I think, and I think it's the most likely of the lot to happen. I think Real Sociedad can cause PSG real problems. Now, when they lose 8-0 on aggregate, I'm going to look like a dum-dum. But I'm for, I, I do think that the way that this side is set up under Alguacil will cause PSG headaches. And I think that the fact that they are so drilled as a team, the fact that they are such a kind of, we're all bought into the same concept side, means that they are set up to deal a kind of, I know PSG I'm on the verge of trans, transitioning from that kind of individual based sides to something a little bit more cohesive. I still think that there is a sense that Real Sociedad could get something out of this, especially with the second leg at home, especially at Anoeta. I, I think that there, there is a real chance that they can pull something off here. Mm, you've gone for it there, mate. That is upset watch. That is upset watch. Definitely. Definitely on upset watch. It's, um, it's incredible. I, I think that this Real Sociedad side are great. I love them. I love watching them. Um, and I think that PSG are going to find it very difficult. Is that one of your to games to watch them. that we're going to talk about? We will talk about Well, we probably don't need to talk about it all that much no, anymore. I was say, we've just <laughs> um, actually, it was only number four, but that's okay because it's, um, there's some other ones as well. Um, Okie dokie. Well, we can move on then to your top five. At five, I've got Arsenal. Yeah, so do I. I was going to put them higher, you know. It's only because I... Th- the four above them, I just couldn't bring myself to drop below Arsenal um, in terms of pedigree more than anything. But I think Arsenal can get to the semi-finals of the Champions League, to be honest. I don't think they're good enough to get to the Champions League final. But but that's a bit mad because it depends on who they draw, right? I know, totally, yeah. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just considering that you're going to be playing... If they're playing... This is how I basically would would gauge it. If they do play into Bayern Madrid or City in a semi-final, I don't think Arsenal come out the other side of that. If they get to a semi-final and it's thrown up a few surprises and they're and every, playing... Or, or everyone else is drawn on the other side of the draw just yeah, all by obviously, accident. Like that, that's the problem with doing a ranking like this. We don't know what those thoughts are going to throw up. But if I'm looking at a team right now and judging them for what they're producing, what their potential is... Yeah, Arsenal at fifth. I, I mean, almost feels like a disservice, but they've they've taken so well to being back in the Champions League. Um, I've been impressed with how they've they've managed the expectations that have been put on them. I think that Arteta's generally has has shown that he can um, manage games very well. I mean. I think that the one that we've just seen at the weekend of the way that Arsenal have come through a match against Liverpool, which I did not expect them to win, and they've won it 3-1. I've, I've got new faith in this Arsenal team, to be honest, that I didn't even have a week ago. And I think 
the ceiling, as I say, is that they can make the semi-final of the Champions League. But for the means of this ranking, I've dropped them just outside of that. And I say that Arsenal are the fifth most likely team to go in the Champions League this season. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's probably similar. I, I actually would just... My, the reason I've got them here is that I don't think their depth is good enough. And I think that as the title race gets tighter and tighter in the Premier League, we're just talking about a team who might just not have the facilities to fight on all the different fronts. So that's that's the only reason I've got them this low, if you will, because I think on their day, Arsenal can take on anyone. We've seen them beat City at the Emirates this season. We've seen them beat Liverpool at the Emirates this season. We're talking about a team who have the capacity, especially at home, to be able to turn it on against almost anybody. But I just wonder if the depth is going to let them down towards the end of the season. And that's maybe why I've got them a little bit lower than their fans might want. Which of those areas would you flag as the biggest concern for Arsenal? The attack, defence or midfield, if they were to get caught out in terms of depth? I think if one of Saliba or Gabriel gets injured, there's going to be a problem because that has been the bedrock of, of, of so much of this season. If they lose a Declan Rice, they're in trouble. I mean, you could say this for everybody, right? Yeah, you, yeah, you but, I'm saying, like, what is but I just the, think that you can't... stand out for you. I think that the problem with Arsenal is that the core is so strong and the drop-off to the next level is, is, is quite... In, well, it's quite stark that one big injury derails them in a way that maybe it doesn't with everybody else that we're about to talk about. Mm. And I think we've seen, we've just talked about City surviving without Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne and still being, what, two points off the top of the league. If you lost, if, if Arsenal lost, you know, a Declan Rice or a William Saliba or a Bakayo Saka, how are they coping with that in a way? And I'm not talking about, obviously, Gabriel Jesus has had injuries. I'm, I'm not saying Arsenal haven't had injuries, just so we're clear. I just mean that I think the drop-off between the core players and the next level down is so stark compared to perhaps the teams further up the, uh, up the ladder. And also the fact that, you know, Arsenal aren't used to playing on three fronts as they go towards the end of the season. Mm. And they're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. I actually think fullback is an area I'd be worried about for Arsenal. Um, I'm surprised. Well, it looks like it looks like Tommy Asu's about to return from injury, so I, I think that might help to address. I'm that. just surprised they didn't sign somebody as a as a versatile fullback in January. Just what do you to... mean they got Cedric Suarez? I can see this being a problem. I can see this being a problem. Whereas by even if they don't suffer injury to star players, it's the sides of that defence that end up getting exploited, and I I'm just not quite comfortable enough with them to make them a f- proper favourite for this competition. And we'll see now as we get into the top four, what these teams have that Arsenal do not. I really was torn over how to do my third and fourth order. So we could probably just address both at the same time. I'll do I'll do four, you do four. I'll do three, you do three. Okay. Um, at four, I've eventually gone for Bayern. Okay. At four, I've gone for Atleti. Okay, that makes sense based on the fact that we had those in different tiers. And then at three, I've got Inter Milan. I've got Real Madrid. Okay. Um, So Bayern, I mean, I think that this is just a natural order for them. I think you have to give them a certain amount of scope. Um, Yes, it's been a disappointing season. Yes, they... um, have lost matches or dropped points in situations whereby you wouldn't typically expect Bayern to drop points. But as I said before, they've got a nice tie against Lazio, which 
I give them like a 75% chance of overcoming, which lands them in the quarterfinal. And nobody wants to face Bayern Munich in a Champions League quarterfinals, really. So that, again, I said with Arsenal, will they be in the semi-finals of the Champions League? I think, yeah, Bayern Munich probably will be a semi-finalist in the Champions League this season. And Inter Milan at three, it almost feels like a disservice, to be honest, given what we've seen across yep. this season. I think we'll we'll address Inter properly when you talk about them, because uh, I want to see where how high you've put them. But yeah, Inter at, at three, um, this is no slant on them at all. Um, I'm hugely impressed by what they've done this season. One of the best Inter teams I've ever watched in my life. Um, I'm not convinced they can win it, but we'll talk about that once once you get to it and you could talk three or four and three first. Yeah, okay. So I have Atleti here because I think Atleti are almost unbeatable at home. Now, mm. again, it comes back to this round of 16 game that everyone's excited about, but you know, I think neither team would have wanted. And I think actually if you looked up for that and gone, uh, least of all, Simeone has gone, hang on, this is a team that I've been mooted to manage for years. And instead, I've come up against them in one of my most impressive seasons, I think. Now, people will look at their La Liga form and the fact that they are fourth and quite fair, far off the pace of Girona and Real Madrid. It was mostly due to a bad start. They have been incredible at home. And I think that what we've seen from them and the fact that maybe they, well, through the game, not through the game, that's probably a little, a little bit harsh, but like weren't fully focused on the derby at the weekend, I think it's going to cost them in the long run in terms of the title race. But I think that they're looking at the Copa del Rey as, as potential silverware. And I think honing that knockout sensibility puts them in really good stead. I just think that considering the, the players they've brought in, the depth they have now in all of the key positions, especially in that midfield where they can change it up, from that old experienced guard of Rodrigo de Paul and Saul and Coquer is election to a point where we're looking at, you know, Arta Vermeer and Pablo Barrios coming through. I really, really like both of them. I think we've seen the emergence of Samuel Lino and Rodrigo Raquelme after both were out on loan last year, coming in and making a real difference. I, I'd argue that maybe the last two weeks aside, there hasn't been many players this season who have been in better form than Antoine Griezmann and Morata and his relationship together up top is incredible. And then if it all goes wrong, as it has done in the last couple of weeks, they throw Correa and Depay on and they cause problems as well. I just think that the depth that Atleti have, the fact that they might well be out of the title race and only really looking at the cup competitions as opportunities for silverware actually might stand them in some pretty good stead if they can get past Inter. But I just trust Simeone and in, 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 actually this is probably it in a way that you talk about trusting Bayern to be there I have that faith the exact same faith in Simeone and Atleti mm. I think that they are right there amongst it if they can get past this round of 16 tie and you know that's that's where we're going to come to but we'll, we'll come on to Inter at three I have Real Madrid crossing the city lines I think they're brilliant and I think they've been loads of fun. I still think that they are lacking an out-and-out out number nine who is would be the difference between them being maybe three and one for me if they had a number nine who I thought was reliable enough to score goals at the sharp end of this competition. And look, maybe Hosselu will come in here and go, oh, there we go. I'm, I'm the man. Maybe he will step up and 
you know, be the guy for them in the latter stages of the Champions League. But I'm not completely convinced. I just think that maybe this squad has a little bit of, a little bit more holes in it than the teams I've put above them in, in Inter and City. So I think that that's why I've gone for them at three. And I know that pedigree comes into it and I know that muscle memory comes into it. You can look at, you know, I talked about the experience and the youth in the midfield, but Atleti, that goes even further in this Real Madrid case. I think we've all been sleeping on quite how good Tony Kroos has been this season. Out of nowhere, he's just dropped another absolute masterclass in central midfield. Modric still there kicking about for these big moments, but then Valverde, Bellingham, you're looking at Chiumeni and Camavinga and the way they have it. I just a little bit think they're a little bit light in defence and a little bit light up top, just to be in that very top category for me. Okay, very good. I'll address Real Madrid in a minute. I'm sure we all know where I stand on it. Um, my number two is Man City. Okay. My number two is Inter, but I did it reluctantly because I kind of wanted to put them at one. Okay, so you've gone Inter at two and you've gone Man City at one. I have. Okay, so I've got Real Madrid at number one. So we've gone different. Good. I'm glad we've gone different. Um why have I gone Real Madrid to win the Champions League over Manchester City? I think that Manchester City are the better team, to be honest. So that doesn't fit with my ranking. Yeah. Um, I always hesitate to back a team to win a competition back-to-back when it's a tournament this big. But that's just a personal preference and something that I do that's that's not to say that they can't because Pep Guardiola will not be taking any negatives out of the fact that this team won the Champions League last year by beating Inter Milan in fact he'll be using that to be like we will do that again we weren't actually as good then as we are now Man City I would say are not yet the full version of themselves uh, because they've been hampered by injuries across this season and you know, they definitely haven't shown across the season the consistency of form that we might have expected of a team that are typically so dominant in England. But they're going to be at least in the semi-finals of this competition. And I would be very surprised if Man City do not make it to the Champions League final. I don't know why. I just don't feel that they would come out on top in a clash of the titans. When they won the Champions League, they beat an Inter Milan team that weren't as good as the Inter Milan team that we've got right now. If Man City then had been pitted against this Inter Milan team, I don't think Man City would have won the Champions League last season. And equally, if Man City are pitted against Real Madrid in a Champions League final, I believe Real Madrid would come out on top. I completely Why? understand the flaws that you point out in terms of the defense. I just have <laughs> you know this already. You know that this is based on vibes. If Erling Haaland comes up against Nacho in the Champions League final, he's gonna eat him. Is he though, mate? Our Man City actually as good with Haaland as they are without. Like, I, I don't like yes, having this are, conversation. I don't like having this conversation because people say it to me. When I'm in like, literally last weekend, I was at a kid's party and somebody started talking to me. They obviously know what I do for a job and they start asking me questions about football. And they say, oh, um, Liverpool are going to win the league, aren't they? And I said, no. 
Man City are. I said, what? Man City? No, Man City aren't as good as they as they were. And I was like, well, they are. Like they've got they're where they are in the league, and they've only just got De Bruyne back, and and Haaland's not there. I said, yeah, but it's not the same, is it, without Haaland? And I've literally put up the argument last weekend that actually, yes, and Haaland gets into literally any any of these Champions League teams. Haaland starts for every single one. So that goes completely against my argument. But I was talking to somebody the other day who covers Manchester City, and he said, if you were to look back at Man City across the last couple of years and were to define what their best performances were, a lot of them are actually without Haaland. So as a team unit, there can be an argument made that you don't need Haaland to be the best version of Manchester City. I do think you need Kevin But it helps. <laughs> but it helps. It does help, yeah. Um, I'm trying to help myself here, mate. Um, Vinicius is the man. Vinicius is the man that I am backing to give Real Madrid the edge to get over the line in the Champions League final. Not Jude Bellingham. Everyone else is going to say Jude Bellingham is the man that is the reason that Real Madrid are going to win the Champions League. And I'm not saying that. I think it's Vinicius Jr. I I did tell you there was going to be a drop-off from Bellingham. I've got to say, at the time, everyone was like, why? Why are you saying this? And I was like, he's not going to continue scoring at like a goal a game for the rest of the season. And what's he got now? One in his last eight. I was like, oh, okay, cool. That, that That's the, it's not it's not a slight on Bellingham. He's still been unbelievable. He's still put in some incredible performances. But like, I, it's not, it's not going to be, he's not going to be that 52 goals in a season guy because... That's not the player that Jude Bellingham is right now. Him, look, if if at some point in his future, someone decides I can make Jude Bellingham into maybe the world's best number nine, I will, I'll look at it and go, wow, you could give it a go. I think he has all the traits to do almost anything on a football pitch. But I didn't think it was going to be this season. Look, the thing is, right, so people just keep... Um, look, this is not the best version of Real Madrid we've ever seen. Definitely not. But they also don't lose. Unless it's Atletico Madrid they're up against, they don't lose. So my actual fear is that they get drawn in the semi-final against Atletico Madrid. <laughs> and that that's how they end up getting knocked out of the Champions League. I'm not even joking. I, that is the team that I fear most for Real Madrid in this competition because they've got their number at the moment and they can't seem to quite shake it off. They almost did at the weekend, but um, they've, they've come a step closer. At least they didn't lose that one. But it did beat them in the Supercoppa. It did beat them in the Supercoppa, but I'm not sure how much um, I attach to that in terms well, of. Well, it was extra time, so you have to you bear that in mind. It's, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's worth But yeah, if you look at Real Madrid's form, mate, I, I think that it's very hard to criticize. And they continue to score goals no matter who's actually getting them, whether it's Vinicius or Chua many uh, ways in. Jose Luz come up with a couple of important goals recently. Um, They've got goals all over the pitch. So, yes, Man City have a goal score. They have Erling Haaland. He is the guy that you expect to decide matches. And Real Madrid don't have that person anymore. But they have so far managed to be completely fine in terms of stepping forward when it matters most. Real Madrid are going to win the Champions League. I'm telling you, I've already put the bet on. You know it. Yeah, I know you have. I know you have. All right, let's move on because uh, I've got into it too. And look, this Monday, a couple of days ago, I called it. They're uh, in the bag. Serie A is in the bag. And, and Inter have, have won Serie A, so that's cool. Uh, after that win over Juventus. But more than that, I just think that they are 
probably the most flexible and adaptable team in Europe in terms of the top tier. I think that they have the capacity to do almost everything. They don't really concede goals, 10 in 22 games in Serie A. They have scored in every Serie A game that they have played this season. Even in games where they haven't played well in the Champions League, like that Real Sociedad game away from home at Anoeta that I mentioned, they came back and, and, and got a point out of it, thanks to Lautaro. When Lautaro didn't play well at the weekend against Juventus, and it's been a rarity this season, he's been absolutely unbelievable. Other players stepped up to be the difference. And I just think that in terms of the way that Inzaghi has this team playing, they will fear nobody. Now, I've just spoken about Atleti's brilliance at home, and I think that continues. I think that we're going to see when it goes back to the Miazza, it's going to be very interesting to see how that one develops as well. Uh, it's the first game. So because Inter came, came out second in their, in their group to Real Sociedad, they have now got themselves a very difficult tie, and that's not ideal from an Inter perspective. But if they win this game or this tie against uh, Atletico Madrid, I think they'll be in the final, the very least. I think they'll be in the final. Mm. Yeah, look, you're right. Like, what? What's the best version of Inter Milan you've ever seen? The best version. The best version of in this Inter side. Like, if everything clicks, beat every single team on this list. Yeah, but I'm Man talking City about the included. best Inter team you've ever seen up to now would be the 2010 team, right? Uh, well, yes and no. Like, do I? I think this team beats that 2010 team. Okay. Okay. Now, that might be controversial because there was a lot of it. But I just think that in terms of adaptability, flexibility, finding different ways to win, this team yeah. would find a way. This team would find a way. And they believe in themselves. And Inzaghi proved himself as a brilliant cup manager at Lazio. And he's now taken that on. And there have been questions about his league positions. That's fine. I think they're going to win the league, as I just said. I think that they come into their own when it gets to knockout competitions. and. I just fancy that Inter are, look, City are the best team in Europe when they have everybody together. Inter, for me, are the team to beat. Yeah, look, I think um, if you look at the scoreline from the weekend and you think, well, hang on, they only beat Juventus 1-0. This is all very tight. Mm. I mean, we talked about it on on Patreon. I mean, Chesney as performed absolute wonders hasn't he um and you look at that game overall and you're like okay Juve did all right in spells in that game but how Inter have not won by more is beyond everybody and I think that what you're talking about in terms of finding different ways is going to be a real strength of theirs and they are way better aren't they than they were a year ago like way rock, better they're rock solid at the back even having lost that many players and some key players in the likes of Skriniar and Anana, and up top, even without Lukaku, this partnership between Turam and Lautaro, absolutely remarkable. The fact DeMarco basically plays the second striker at times from that left wing-back role. The depth in midfield that they have there that, you know, Pratezi can't get into the team. David Klaassen, okay, fine, was signed as a fringe player, but, you know, Inzaghi spoke about the fact that people need to put a bit more respect on what he's achieved in the game. None of them get in the team. Chalanoglu has turned himself into one of the best defensive midfielders in the world, which no one saw coming. Mm. We saw Mkhitaryan undroppable at the moment with what he's doing. They just feel like they're all coming together at the right time. I just, I love this Inter side, man. 
Yeah, I mean, I should have really when I was trying to defend Real Madrid, and I just, I just can't um, find the words to. Fo- I should have really focused on the fact that Madrid also have an unbelievable number of options, particularly breaking out of midfield. That I think is their yeah, they do is their big strength. I touched on it when I was talking about them at three. So yeah, you that's right, you, you did. Um, and, you know, to not even for me to not even like mention the likes of Valverde in that conversation is ridiculous, really, because um, that is again a player that would get into basically any team across this Champions League discussion but I need to hear it mate why Man City going to be the team that, that lift the pot because I think that what we've seen from City with arguably their two or two of their three most important players injured has still been pretty world beating and the fact that they are back that this Brentford game that we saw on Monday night was the first time that Guardiola had a full squad to pick from they're just the options and the depth. If you want to, you know, play a narrow game, which allows them to, to have players drifting inside, Bernardo, Foden, we've seen those players. And then you bring on Doku, you bring on Grealish. There are players coming on to absolutely tear you down the flanks as well. In Holland, in Alvarez, they have two very different types of strikers. De Bruyne are playing a bit deeper next to Rodri is working for me. The only position I think that Man City are a little bit out of sorts at is potentially at left back. And I'm not completely convinced by Gavardiol in that role. Yeah. But aside from that, I just don't see where the weaknesses are. And when it comes together for City, and so often it does under Pep Guardiola, they're coached by the best coach on the planet. They have many of the best players on the planet. They are holders. I know what you're saying about people not often lifting it back to back, but I think that the best version of Manchester City is just way too strong and will find a way. And we saw that a bit of that in you know the Champions League final last year where they lose De Bruyne, as you say, one of the, the most key elements of this side, and Rodri pops up with the goal. Now, it wasn't their vintage performance, but I think getting over the line and just breaking the back of that hoodoo, if you will, just allows them to to play with a little bit more freedom and expression as we get oh. towards the final stages of this. The fact they drew Copenhagen, I think, is an incredibly kind draw for them. And that's no disrespect because Copenhagen were excellent in the group stages. I just think they're the weakest of the 16 sides. And then you kind of come to this and you're going, well, if City get on a roll here, and especially we've seen them in the second half of seasons drive at competitions in the last few years and really be a cut above pretty much everybody else, that's why I've got them at one. I, I was flip-flopping between Inter and, and Man City at one and two, and I really don't think there's much between them at all. Yeah, I really don't. And whichever, you know, if, if I'd gone the other way with this, I would have been happy with it as well. So I'm talking about two sides who could be level one as far as I'm concerned, you know, yeah. concerned here. But I just think that whereas there are flaws in everyone below Inter, there are almost none with City and, and, and Inter. Yeah, and they won't be harmed either, City, to be fair, by the fact that the final is at Wembley this season. Um, the place they know. Main Road South. Pretty well. <laughs> Liverpool fans will be South. screaming at me. Screaming uh, at me. The Southern um, HQ. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, it's it's something that I think they could probably look to, look to achieve. So, yeah, they got them at one. Well, mate, look, we're all revved up. It all kicks off again next Tuesday. Um, so I think we've got a good job there. What are the three, what are the games then that you were going to point out to us that we can't afford to miss? Don't miss PSG Real Sociedad. I think that's a corker. Yeah. I think PSV Dortmund and Napoli Barcelona have the potential to be the most entertaining of the ties, but the best game is between Inter and Atleti. That's where I'm at. So 
those are the four that I'm looking at and going, don't miss these games. Is there like, goals obviously in if you that support, one? That's my fear. Is there goals? I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be a goal fest. I don't think no. it is. But I think it's going to be the most intriguing of all the round of 16 the games. Tense. But also like two of the teams who could go on, as we say, and win this competition. Yeah, true. So yeah, you, uh, you them, want yeah. to see those games. That's what the Champions League delivers, right? It's them big games towards the end of things. That's that's where I'm I'm, I'm really excited. So no, I think PSG, Real Sociedad is my upset watch. The ones you're watching for entertainment and goals are PSV Dortmund and Napoli Barcelona because I think that all of those sides are so flawed. Well, PSV may be a side, but maybe a cut below pushing upwards. The rest of these three sides are so flawed that it could go anywhere, those games. And then Inter Atleti has the potential to be the highest quality. Very good. Very good. Okay. All, all right. There we go. Yeah, we will. We'll be watching all of them. And we'll be back with a Champions League takeaway next week. It's been a while, but a Champions League takeaway will return next week. And I'm very, very excited about it. All right. After the break, we got a little bit of guru wisdom for you to close this off. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC, where it's time for some guru wisdom. What you got for me, boys? Guru wisdom, guru wisdom, guru wisdom. Mm, Very fitting this week that the boys are doing that because um, they figure in this part of the show. Um, As Patreon listeners will know, I am doing lone parenting at the moment. Taylor uh, is off. Uh, gallivanting in San Diego at the moment. She's gone for 10 days. She's left me in charge of two children for 10 days. Brave decision. She said, I really do trust you. Thanks. I've lowered expectations, but to the ground, mate. Um, And this is the wisdom that I'm giving the rank squad today. When left in a situation like this, you could stress about it. And I think if if the tables were turned here and I was the one away for 10 days, I think Tay would find it harder for the reasons that she tries to maintain the the same standard of life that we always have and tries to... Status quo. Yeah. I don't. I accept that that is impossible for me to do. So first things first, she's been gone since Friday. It's now Tuesday. They've had pizza for dinner three times. I mean... Some would say it's not enough. Um, you would say it's not enough because <laughs> you, you love pizza more than anyone else on the planet. I'm not sure I can maintain this consistency of pizza delivery. Um, Boys are having the absolute time. <laughs> they were jumping She's gonna around. She's going to be listening to this going, oh, no. They were jumping around on Saturday and going, no rules, no rules, no rules. I was like, oh, dear, what have I created here? Um but another thing that I've done, as well as the fact that they're just you know, living on pizza, is we just all sleep in the same bed and we don't have bedtimes. Um, Reese gets really tired at like at half seven. He starts to get really ratty and like annoying. Dylan doesn't. Dylan isn't tired at that time. Like, well, really, what I should do is like put Reese to bed. Then once he's asleep, come back. Let like. Then I'll go and put Dylan to bed properly and we'll have two different bedtimes and I can go downstairs and get on with life as an adult. No. What am I doing? I'm going to bed at 7.30. Luckily, we've got a big old um, super king-size bed in our room, so that's coming very handy. California king bed. Oh, it's great. Um, This is why we got it. So Dylan's on one side, 
I alternate. I try not to be in the middle, but sometimes I'm in the middle. Sometimes I'm on the other side. Reese is in there too. We whack on Netflix. We they watch uh, the floor is lava, and they watch uh, is it cake? If you haven't seen is it cake anymore, then I highly recommend it. It is the most easy to watch show you'll ever find, where people make things out of cake, and then you have to they bring in the exact same object. And they put it out in front and you have to guess which one is the cake because the cakes are so good. <laughs> so we watch that in bed basically until they fall asleep. There's no bedtime story. There's no little chats about our day anymore. It's just we'll sit here. Reese falls asleep within about 20 minutes, half hour. I said, right, watch TV quietly. And in a minute, I'll be turning it off. I turn it off and he goes to sleep. I mean... Sounds easy to be fair. It's easy for me, mate. I'm just making my life easy. This is the wisdom attached to this. Make life easy for yourself when it should be hard. This is what we do. The problem I'm going to have next, everyone, is the house is getting a bit messy. And usually, if Taylor isn't here, even for like a day, I will tidy up as I go along because it's much easier. But uh, I was looking around earlier. I was like, this is getting a little bit out of hand now. There's stuff everywhere. I'm going to have to go on a bit of a... Yeah, I'm going to have to go on a bit of a mad dash to tidy this place up soon. We've got cleaners coming two days before she comes home to give the place a proper clean. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I less so the cleaners coming, but when Lucy's away, I do exactly the same. I leave the house, like, get absolutely mad until it's like one day before, and then I go on an absolute scramble to Honestly, get it sorted. Why do we do it? To, why do we do that? I mean... Blokes. No, I don't. There's no SB chance Blokes. they would do this. She might do the sleeping thing. Like I can imagine her being tempted to do that. She wouldn't. Well, she she wouldn't order pizza every night. <laughs> she wouldn't order pizza. <laughs> She'd have had it at least once though. Um, there's no chance the the tidiness. And she asked me about it. How's the house? Yeah, it's good. Everything's good. Still standing. <laughs> Looking great from the outside. The house looks great. <laughs> <laughs> That's Fantastic. It. Fantastic. Some some guru wisdom on solo parenting from Dean. Uh, you love to see it. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to call this a day. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones for making time in his busy pizza schedule to uh, come on today and not clean the house. <laughs> oh, mate, I probably will order one in in a minute. Fantastic. You love to see it. Thank you very much to all of you for listening as ever. We really do appreciate you. Please do share this with anyone who you think might enjoy our ranking of the Champions League teams, all your football, soccer, loving friends in your group chats. Drop a link in, see if they fancy coming and being part of the Rank Squad. It's a lovely place to be. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever, and we'll see you very shortly, gang. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. 
And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.